Today, I want to talk about the N-word, narcissism. Narcissism is very hard to define because it's a quality, it's a cultural symptom, it's an illness, it's an optic, and today I suggest perhaps an epidemic. Narcissists may be our bosses, our celebrities, our politicians, our partners. Narcissists also may be our villains. Do you see how popular Joker is right now? It's everywhere. We cannot escape this narcosphere. But like a plague, it's very hard to isolate, it's harder to control, and it's seemingly everywhere we look. So today I'd like to be like a holiday center for disease control so that we can contain some of this scourge with a little Torah, some tshuva, and definitely acts of loving kindness in the face of this situation. But first some Torah from Rabbi Avid. We remember the story of Narcissus. Yes, the Greek myth. Narcissus lured to a pool of water by a goddess of revenge, who seen his cruel treatment of those that would love him that he spurns away. And so, as he stares in the water, he falls immediately in love, internally in love with his own reflection. For the offense of mistreating others' love, he is cursed to love only himself. But it's not any regular self-love. It's a self-love that always fails. For as he draws closer to the ravishing sight of himself, the image dissipates. As he says, quote, according to Avid, Since I am what I long for, my riches are so great, they make me poor. Narcissus can never quench his thirst for himself. He will never find partnership. He's stuck. He's always hungry and never able to satisfy that hunger. So in more clinical terms, and Al-Khayt, I don't have the DSM-4 in front of me. It is the pursuit, DSM-5 now. It is in pursuit of gratification from vanity or egoistic admiration of one's idealized self-image and attributes. Narcissism is not one person or even a group of people. You can't simply blame desperate housewives or fraternities and call the whole thing off. Narcissism, I believe, is a spectrum. And so it's in with our society especially. And I want to mark three points along this line. This cultural moment of narcissism that slides into this more difficult NPD, a narcissistic personality disorder, and then at the farthest end of this spectrum is psychopathic narcissism, which is a malignancy that is truly threatening our culture and nation. But first, let's talk about the cultural moment. The selfie was the word of the year in 2013, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better, or worse or different that selfie, although the selfie stick kind of went and left, but the selfie image is ubiquitous. Turning the camera back to ourselves and posting that image to the world. We've all done it. 
Our phones are not the true enablers because we've become self-referencing as our entire means of communication. How do I know what you're doing unless I show you what I'm doing so you can show me that you like or dislike what I am doing? Boom. <laughs> so we could try to link this, you know, pointing fingers, but, you know, I told the bar mitzvah kids, remember this? Zevi, do you remember this? Every time I point at you, you got three fingers right back at yourself. So I could point at millennials. I could point at the millennial generation and say, oh, those kids, those digital natives, They're often tagged with the ills of our noise-canceling ethos. Uh, But uh, I really don't think I'm so far from the hoodie or the earbuds. I mean, Nathan and I, we share the same, you know, situation. Oh, just one small story about my son. We're sitting at home. I'm like, get your buds out of your ears. Come on, I'm sitting right here. What are you doing? And he looks at me and says, I'm listening to the debates. What are you doing? (laughs) Sorry, baby. But in defense of millennials and our own children in that next generation, I believe they're more volunteer-oriented, often less materialistic, very concerned about our world, and adamant about changing our own culture of indifference. For if we would listen, there are so many that aren't just selfieing, but they're posting, they're snapping, they're chatting, and actually demanding more from us to respond with dignity and civility to some of the problems in our society. So I don't think it's a millennial problem. I think it's a problem of the millennia. And narcissism is part of all of us. And my mother would say it's a healthy sense of ego. It's good, it's good, it's okay. A little bit of narcissism is good for everyone. Sorry, that's not her accent. And Mom, forgive me. <laughs> everyone needs to re- reinforce behaviors or beliefs that fortify the self. And yes, definitely, we all need to be heard to share our narratives, to share our stories. This at its best is Shema Yisrael. This at its best is about God. This is the Martin Buber's I Thou moment that I'm really connecting with you, that I hear you and I see in your face you respond to me. That's what lights my day. That is wonderful. That is empathy. But too often, if we really think about our conversations... They're not dialogue. They're actually just monologues passing one another. We use one another as mirrors, as sounding boards, and not as partnership. That is an I-it relationship. To use people as its, just for your reflection of yourself. And that is missing the mark. That's missing a chait. That's actually what a chait means, missing the mark. That I'm not connecting with the person but I'm connecting with an object so that I can hear myself. And so, just a small example. For the sin I have done before you with the OMG. Everybody know OMG? Let me do it this way. Oh my God. So that is more the OMG text with a valley accent. And I don't think it is really a divine proclamation. Oh my God. Can you hear me now? Hear my voice. OMG, this avocado toast is so good. (laughs) It takes God's name in vain. And I've had my OMG moments for sure. Let's just imagine we're on sunset going east at around 3.30. All right. For the sin that I have sat in my car for two hours on sunset. Okay. 
But then what do I do? I have an issue. I've had some gossipy moment that I want to share and I haven't talked to people. I don't know if you do this with your hands-free phone. You just scroll previously called and you just keep hitting the same people and you just go back and back just to make sure that you're hitting them. But you share the exact same story. Can you believe it? Oh my God. She said this, I said that, and can you believe that? And then they talk to you back and they say, wow, but they don't talk back to you because you're already thinking, well, of course I'm right, I know. Can you believe it? I already know. Next person. And then you share the exact same story because you have two hours and you say, oh my God, that was so great. I talked to all my friends, but you didn't talk to anybody. You just talked to yourself again and again, justifying whatever your micro, oh my God, drama was. That I have done. Or on the flip side, You're listening to a story, you're listening to somebody else, but are you listening to what their story is? Are you waiting for the moment for, well, when I was at Michigan? (laughs) This is a common, common result. We are listening not to where that person is. And here's the trick. If we could ask a deepening question, then you know that you're listening. What do you mean that? Tell me something more about that. But if you're simply, ah, yes, I know your problem. When I was an assistant manager at the Kroger, or I'm sorry, I wasn't. But if you only respond with your own conversation, that is an I-it relationship. And not only this, but even if I puff up my chest and I smile when I'm feeling hollow, these seem to be normal moments. I think we all have them. Maybe not so Yom Kippur worthy. But then if you string it together and it becomes the essence of your personality, we move further along to this NPD, a narcissistic personality disorder. And I just want to take a disclaimer because illness is not a sin. Remember last year I talked about drugs and alcohol and how dangerous and difficult it is to slide between substance abuse and use and people celebrating. This is a tricky area, but I've tried and tried to read on this. And there is a huge gray area between what is clinical and what is cultural. For NPD is this grandiose personality that has an arrogance that will discount the needs of others and really can't have genuine concern outside the self. So this is someone who can befriend you one moment and then you're ghosted the second you are not necessary for that narrative. This is an unquenching self-love. It is not love. It is hollow, and it uses all around them to bolster themselves of self. I pray these souls find health. I pray for victims of NPD to find shelter and power to resist the abuse and neglect that they may feel and have. I think we all can think of someone in our lives that is a family member, a friend, or a co-worker who has either been a victim or suffers from this illness. However, as we move further along this spectrum, when these delusions of grandeur become so loud by echo chambers we've created in social media, and then they become weaponized with the permission of so many weapons in our world, we can reach the end of the spectrum in this narcissistic psychopath. For this does not only discount needs of others, but it converts a hyper-arrogance into a rage and becomes a turn so twisted it sees victims as the affront against the self and the innocent as the object of the other. 
Let's take this summer in Dayton. The murderer went to a strip of bars that he would frequent. In fact, he murdered his own sister. We'll read their names in Yiskor. She became a modern Abel because she was murdered in cold blood. The God, our God, is demanding Ayeka at this moment. Where are all of us in this response? Yet today, we have to also ask how we got here. Who are we as a result? For it's impossible to see ourselves in this horror. I do not want to see myself in any of these tragedies, including Pittsburgh and Poway. And yet today, we declare Hamasnu, we declare Haragnu, we do say that we have committed violence and that we have murdered in the first person plural. If we accept the collectivity of our innocence, then we also have to take some responsibility in the guilt. And so I think that the solution, the antidote here, is not only vigilance and safety, but it's the opposite move of narcissism. And so it's a moment of empathy. It's a genuine concern outside the self to both those vulnerable and the horrible. Because I believe we must move past our crazy loner disclaimers each time another horror occurs. It is not merely crazy loners. These people are infected by the times of radical loneliness and have means and channels to share and plan. We are complicit if we allow this hatred and weaponized bigotry to continue to fill our streams and national conversation without a more vigorous response of both action and compassion. And so we must begin with ourselves, each of us, to let down our shields of defense, wrapped in these holy shrouds on this holy day, to expose our own fragile souls behind our facades, our egos. And collectively, we can share in the spirit, we can collectively atone if we start not from this side of the spectrum, but just in our petty selfishness, we can move towards resolution and responsibility. This is one of Judaism's most famous lines. This is an interactive section, so I'm going to try this. You guys fill the second half of the line. If I am, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? But if I'm only for myself, and if not now, all right, good, good. So this is a famous line that is used often in social justice. And it's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. It's from Pirkei Avot. But it's actually an existential question. If I don't say, who am I? If I don't ask my country, who are we? What do we represent? I'm no one. But if I only am about me and what I get, I can't exist. Because my existence depends on an interrelationship. And if not now, when? It's great. It's a call to action now. But it's really about this life versus the afterlife. And this is a plea against these fatalistic responses. That we have chance in life, within life, not to be martyrs, but to be heroes of compassion. To reach out to one another in these times. This is the original story of humanity. This is the story of Adam and Eve leaving the garden as a hero of celebration and not one of tragedy or original sin. 
because the story of Genesis is the original narcissistic story. God insists it's not for them good to be alone. And so Adam and Eve share life's experience together. But the garden was this immaculate place with no pain and no suffering. They got anything they wanted. The only thing they couldn't have? Knowledge. And knowledge of pain and knowledge of labor and knowledge of death. And this is a narcissistic atrium that everything is shiny and pretty all the time. And so when Eve takes the apple, she breaks that chain. She becomes God, uh, God-like. And that is a bitter truth. And so why we do Rosh Hashanah apples and honey, it's not just sweetness and sweetness. Does anybody wonder that? Oh, sweet New Year, have fun. Apples, honey. But the apple, it's a little close to this creation of the world in the Garden of Eden. What it is, is the apple is both bitter and sweet. So we have the sweetness of the garden, we have the bitterness of the truth of knowledge and pain, and then we put honey on it to say, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And so the Exodus story, as we move forward, is also a story of narcissism, but it moves from a personal to a national narcissism. Obviously, Pharaoh is a narcissist. He builds monuments to his ego. He declares himself a god. He is extremely paranoid of all others. And so God liberates Israelites from being objects in this pyramid to a community in a desert, to a self-sustaining just society built on Torah and law and not on objects. And so, in the desert, as you know, what's the low point of the whole Torah? The golden calf. This golden calf was in response to Moses and God being up on the mountain, having this holy communion. They took too long. The rabbis are clear on that. But instead, there's this egel masecha, which is called, you hear it as golden calf. It sounds like a tchotchke. But it was really a molten bull. And if you think about masecha, which is a mask, a masechot on Purim, you wear a mask. So the egel masecha is empty, it's hollow, it's shiny on the outside and nothing on the inside. And this is what they danced around. When Joshua heard from the mountain, he said, what are they doing? It sounds like a party. It sounds like a war. I can't tell the difference. And neither could they. It was the ultimate crime against God. And so I believe we're in a golden calf moment here because we live in a world of molten bull. While we dance and parade, our law and our justice continues to suffer. And I do believe this country's crisis of racism, of sexism, and of anti-Semitism is not our identity, it's a lack of identity. It's a lack of self-awareness. The more that we rely on American symbols, these become masks. They're objects that show we have a lack of deep values. The hatred we're experiencing is a mask of hollow souls debasing humans as objects, which is lethal and a crime against God. And so we must confront this emptiness that has become an American dream as a cult of oneself. That is the violent illusion of white supremacy. This is an idol of a pure past monoculture, It's a desperate need to find others as their object of derision to keep themselves, quote-unquote, pure. As one of the victims of El Paso declared at the Walmart, he said, we're the new Jews. 
we're the ones that they're pointing at now. I hear in that a command to combat these ills, not just as a Jewish people, but as an American society that values our difference and across our own denominations. And yet I fear... Oh, Jean-Paul Sartre, he put it succinctly. If the Jew did not exist, the anti-Semite would invent him. It's made up. It's not about us. While we are the victims at times. As Jews, we must protest anti-Semitism from both the far right, the far left. And we must stand in solidarity with one another across our own denominations from Chabad, conservative, reform, reconstructionist, as we did and we will. And yet, I fear if our community response is only in solidarity with other Jews and synagogues, in reaction to anti-Semitism, if that is our reaction to hate, and out of fear we turn inward and insular, we too may love ourselves alone and therefore fail in that great love. We can and will gather in prayer when people are attacked, but we must not react in fear to fear. Finding the next anti-Semite to excoriate cannot lead the next generation to a land of promise, here or frankly in Israel. But if we build our Judaism on a reaction to hate only, if you believe that joke about Passover, they tried to kill us, we escaped, so let's eat. I laughed at that joke too. And yet now it is all too serious. We must build more than just an object of our tradition to reach beyond our, ourselves. And so we can believe in a full faith, in a more perfect union within this society. We believe that we can confront this moment of isolation and narcissism with compassion and a deeper love of ourselves through reaching out to one another. We must not fear. We will continue to strive, demand that our truths that were once so self-evident will find evidence again and again to help us live in peace and security. In that, I will seek your face in every, in every face of this earth that I will, we will hear your voice, Shema Koleinu, to discover what is hollow in ourselves and not demand it be filled with hatred, but voice of others in need. That is Ruach HaKodesh, that is a Holy Spirit, a clarion call of the authentic self. For the enemy is not just without, the enemy is within. And there is no wall, no tweet, no text, no object that can take our callousness and vanity away. But with a turning in, with a sensitive ear, with a will to connect to Thou and the Divine, in our ability to recognize ourselves in one another, to love your neighbor as yourself, that is divine.